You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. This week, I was thinking about this message that I was going to be delivering today and thinking about the Holy Spirit. And I was reminded of a story that I, that I had read recently about a couple who was in a Sunday school classroom. And the Sunday school teacher was teaching about the Holy Spirit. And she'd had a piece of paper that she dropped and began to blow on and showed how the Holy Spirit is like the wind, and uh, that the Holy Spirit's invisible, and you can't always see the Holy Spirit, what it's doing, but you can feel the effects of the Holy Spirit. And you know that the Holy Spirit's been there because you can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this little boy yelled out, but I don't want the Holy Spirit to be invisible. I want him to be un-invisible. And um, I thought that was kind of cute. It made me think, You know, wouldn't it be nice sometimes if we could have a glimpse into what Holy Spirit is doing in a way that is a little bit more uninvisible? You know, a lot of times uh, these days I I think about things from a theological perspective in a way that I can try to explain it to a four-year-old. Now that Sophia's four, she begins to ask more questions. I don't know if you were ever in that stage of life, the, the why stage of life where you ask why and what and where and how come all the time. And uh, sometimes the way that you would explain something to a four-year-old is not always to the same complexity that you explain something to an adult or to a high school or university level age student. But I was thinking about the person of the Holy Spirit and how I could best describe the Holy Spirit to a four-year-old. You know, it took me a few minutes to think about it because so many associations like I already spoke about, when I think about God, jump to the person of Jesus and the Father God, who's the God Almighty. And I have pictures in my mind. You know, sometimes the pictures aren't always biblically accurate, you know, when it comes to God the Father because our, our imaginations try to put God into a framework that we can understand him. But really, we know that God is spirit. You know, Jesus, though, it's a little easier to understand sometimes because he has actually entered into humankind. He was actually came to earth as a man. And so because of that association of Jesus or the Son as a human being, I think sometimes I find it easier to connect and, and relate to Jesus. But God the Father has revealed himself as a heavenly Father. And what we know about God through scripture and through experience, is that God is a relational God. He's all about relationships. And you know, for all of eternity, God the Father has existed in a perfect relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there's perfect unity and love between these three persons within the Godhead. Another way that we say the Trinity. The person or the being of God. You know, the Gospels record many 
of, of the stories and experiences of the ministry of Christ. Um, we know that God came to earth as a man, and he lived within the limitations of humanity. He ate, for example, and he drank. Jesus felt hunger and tiredness and anger and love. The Bible tells us that he was tempted, that he suffered. And therefore, we share this human connection with the Son of God through our shared humanity. But yet, Jesus was also God. He was fully God and fully man. The Bible says that he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So we can understand God, the Son. But what about the Holy Spirit? How do we conceptualize the Holy Spirit that we interact with, that we experience in our life? You know, so often we think about the Spirit in very impersonal terms. Um, you know, the Bible gives us some very different images surrounding the Holy Spirit, some of which we've heard here this morning. Um, probably the greatest one is, is wind. And that's because the word for spirit in the Bible actually means wind. But we have other, other illustrations and ways that we imagery for the Holy Spirit in Scripture, such as water, streams of living water, and even a dove. Some of you will remember when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, that the Holy Spirit was said to have descended like a dove onto Jesus and remained with him. Another illustration that we sometimes have for the Holy Spirit is oil. And oil is often linked with this idea of anointing. And Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit when he began his ministry. So how do we understand this Holy Spirit? You know, one of the simplest definitions um, that I've heard that I'd like to share with you today is the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of God. He's the person, but he's also the abiding presence of God in our life that leads, that directs, that convicts, that teaches, empowers, and dwells within us. The Holy Spirit does many, many things. Like, there's no way that I'll be able to exhaustively cover them all here this morning. But the Holy Spirit, it's important that we know that He is God, that He is the abiding presence of God in our lives. He's also a person with agency and personality and fully God. The Spirit's not just a force acting on us. He's not just the essence of God, but He is a person within the context of the Trinity. We believe that there's one God that exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Presence, isn't that such an interesting thing? Presence. Have, you, have any of you ever been in the presence of somebody great? Somebody that you would brag to a friend that you saw. I think somebody that I would probably brag if I, if, if I met them or had an encounter with them would be the queen, Queen Elizabeth. I think that would be a pretty cool experience to have a sit down with the queen who's reigned for as long as she has and just to have her mind for 15 minutes and ask her some, some questions about her take on where we're at in the world right now. 
I think it would be really fascinating. And if I had that encounter, I'd probably brag with a few friends about it, that I got to meet the queen. Um, to be in her presence and, and, and to share that, that moment with her. But presence is something different than just vicinity, isn't it? Wives, have you ever been with your husbands where he's physically present, but he's not present? You know what I'm talking about? I know it's true because I do it too. Um, there's a difference between physical proximity to something and their presence. If my wife went away, for, I'll give you an example. So my wife went away camping for a week with her family out in Invermere this summer. And um, when she came home, I wasn't really around a whole lot. I was like, even though she was gone a whole week, I really did, I could have made more of a note to have been home a little bit more than I was. I planned a few too many things. And I know that for her, she missed my presence because she came home expecting to spend time with me and I'd filled my schedule with a bunch of other commitments. And, um, you know, it would be like her coming home and me taking a cardboard cutout of myself and sticking it at the doorway with a sign that said, welcome. It would not be the same as me there greeting her with a hug or a kiss, would it? Would it, ladies? Or maybe you're wishing you could make a cardboard cutout of your husband <laughs> and you could, you know, have him vacuuming and cleaning. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? You could get your husband to do whatever you want. That'd be amazing. But presence is an important thing. Presence. You know, for example, maybe some of you here have gone through a hard time in your life and you've required the presence of friends and family. Maybe you've gone, suffered a tragedy, a loss, a sickness. And in those times, usually there are no words. Usually there's nothing you can say to make anything better. But what comforts you is knowing that you get to share time in prox close proximity and the presence of your friends and loved ones. Even if they don't say anything at all, just them being present means everything. Presence is so incredibly important. You know, I see this especially with my kids. You know, they desire to be with mom and dad. One example would be when they fall and hurt themselves. You know, sometimes it's not even that they're really badly hurt. It's just maybe they're emotionally feeling sad because somebody knocked them over or whatever. And they search, they search for mom and dad, they look and they come running to us and they hug our legs or want to be held. And that comfort that they receive from us being in their life in that moment is important. It's our presence there with them. You know, in the beginning of the Bible, it tells the story of the creation of the world in Genesis. God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in a garden. And there they were, the first people, the first of humankind to abide in the presence of God. And not only did they get to abide in the presence of God, but they got to abide in the presence of one another. And what's interesting is that when they came together, when God created them both, you know, initially the Bible tells the story that Adam was created first. And then God said, it's not good for man to be alone. 
So he created Eve. And when they come together, they come together as one unit, as one family unit, husband and wife together becoming one. You know, sometimes I think about, about that in relationship to the nature of God. But how is it that, that three individual distinct persons can be one God? Well, how is it that, that my wife and I can be like one family? The essence there, I guess, is we are family, two coming together as one. The difference is we were created. God has always eternally existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So here are Adam and Eve in the garden, and they have this abiding relationship with God where they talk with God and they walk with God and they sense his presence. You know, it's an amazing thing. But then, as many of you will know the story, they choose to disobey God. They see that tempting, forbidden fruit. And they choose to partake of it. And they choose to disobey God under the temptation that they too could become like God themselves. That really what they needed to know was to become, be able to determine for themselves what is right and what is wrong. A spiritual separation occurred between humanity and God in which we now had a distorted image of God and of our humanity and our relationship with God. And we were no longer unfully understood the abiding presence of God. Sin separates us from God. It's the root of guilt and shame, and it causes us to pull away and reject God. And we see that in the story with Adam and Eve, because when God comes walking through the garden, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide in shame. It pulls them away from God. It's not that God wasn't still pursuing them, but their shame and their guilt caused them to pull away and to hide from God, which really is impossible to do. We can't hide from God. There's not a rock big enough to hide us from God's presence. It's the abiding presence of God that we get to now partake in as Christians because of what Christ did on the cross. The Christian life could be summed up the day-to-day as abiding with God, Emmanuel, God with us. What it means to be a Christian is it means that we have God with us. It means we're never alone. Did you know that, that you are never alone? At first, when I think about that, I think it's a little creepy. You know, never alone. But then it's really comforting to know that God is with me all the time all the time. And God is with you all the time. If you have received Christ and he is your savior, you can't go anywhere without him. Do you want to know why? Because he lives in you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He lives inside of you. And so there's nowhere you can go where God is not there. You know, we get to re-enter into the abiding presence of God when we receive Christ through the Holy Spirit and we place our trust in him and he cleanses us from our sin and we now have the ability to live a new life in new power, with a new identity, with a whole new spiritual being in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we see this communicated even in the Old Testament. You know, one of my favorite scriptures are the Psalms. And in this particular Psalm, Psalm 51 1 to 13. I'm going to read it all. I've only 
selected four scriptures, three, three there on the screen for you. But I'd like to read them all. The context here is David, the man after God's own heart, who knew the Lord intimately, surprise, surprise, fell into sin. And uh, he ended up having an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And this is the context in which David writes Psalm 51. He writes, have mercy on me, O God, because your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. It's amazing that God is forming and shaping us even in our mother's womb. God is involved. Here and then in verse 7, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again, for you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me, oh God, a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore me to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach, you, teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. What I love about this psalm is that I just see the gospel in this psalm. Do you? Do you see a loving, compassionate God who's going to forgive sin, blot it out, who's going to forgive the sinner, will give them back joy and allow them to rejoice, creating a clean heart, creating a new man, a new woman. And here in verse 11, I think it's so powerful. He says, do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And what's interesting is David here is connecting the presence of God, the very presence of the Lord in his life and the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of God in his life. And what happens when someone comes to God and asks for forgiveness and puts their faith in God? Well, they're restored. Just like he's asking, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So first we see that we come into salvation and something shifts in our life, and all of a sudden we went from rebelling against God and wanting to do our own thing to coming into relationship with God and now wanting to obey God. And there are still going to be things in our life that are struggles, the area of our sin nature that comes up that wants us to do the things we used to do, to think the way we used to think. And what we can do is what David did. We can ask God, say, Lord, make me willing to obey you. God, those areas of weakness in my life, God, I need strength. 
and I need power by your Holy Spirit. Empower me to resist temptation. God, give me the strength to do what is right, what you're calling me to do, and to be the man and woman that you've called me to be. And then in verse 13, the result is that you will then teach God's ways to rebels, to other people who have also not yet received salvation. And it says that they will return to God. What an amazing thing. You know, this psalm demonstrates the character of God as a loving and compassionate God. I remember I once had a youth ask me, you know, about the character of God and why it seems like the God of the Old Testament seems so different than the God of the New. But he really isn't. He really isn't. And this psalm is one example that demonstrates the character of God as loving and compassionate. You know, David understood that only God could set him right and restore him. David is described as a man after God's own heart. He lived a life of worship to God, being led by God, yet failed and he sinned. But what David recognized is that he desperately needed the presence of God in his life. We recognized as the Holy Spirit. And so do we. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, it means that we don't have Christ. It means that we're not saved. You know, the Old Testament refers to Jesus, as I said, as the Word made flesh, who dwelt among us. We see a theme throughout all of the Bible that God created man to be in relationship with people because he wanted a people who he could love and who would freely love and worship him in return. We see over and over his desire to dwell among us. God dwelled with man in the garden. And then after that all went wrong, God made ways for his presence to dwell with the people of Israel in the tabernacle, in the temple, with the ark. What's an amazing thing is that God's presence was their strength. Because where God went, there was victory. Where God goes, he is victorious. You know, we sing about that. We worship God as the the God of victory. And he really is a God of victory. He's our God of victory because he's, he's been our victor. He's gone to places that we could not go to redeem ourselves because there's nothing that we could do in our human ability and our sinful nature to, to make us right with God. But God made a way. God made a way for us to be right with him by his grace, by sending his son to live a perfect life and die on the cross so that we could be restored back into relationship with God. What an amazing thing, the grace of God in our lives. We see over and over God's desire to dwell among us and to restore us back into a covenant relationship with him. Jeremiah 31, 33 describes this. For it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God desires that he would be our God that we would put him before all else. As Mel shared today, that we would seek him first in the kingdom of God. But there are so many other competing things in our life that are trying to take the place of God in our life. And the question is, what are we going to allow and what are we not going to allow? It's our choice. We have the choice 
to allow things into our life and to remove them from our life. And when we see that there's things in our life that are taking the place of God, we have to take action. It doesn't mean that we always know how or we have the strength to do it, but God will give us the strength when we trust and rely on him to do it. I don't know what it is for you, but we all have things that are challenging the lordship of Christ in our life. For some of us, it might be the fear of man. For some of us, it might be just wanting to do what you want to do, not wanting to give up control of your life. Maybe there's habits in your life that you don't want to give up because they make you feel good. I don't know what it is for you, but God will empower you with the ability to overcome all things. All things. Because he wants to be your God and he wants you to be his people. You know, it's amazing to think about the disciples and the opportunity that they had to walk with Jesus, to live with Jesus day after day, to hear him teach, to hear him preach, to watch him interact with the crowds, to see broken and hurting and sick people come to him, a blind man healed, to see deaf ears opened. How wonderful it would have been to see him infuriating the Pharisees and the people of the day and to be standing there just watching it all happen. You know, as amazing as it was, as amazing as it was, you know, Jesus couldn't stay. You know, but they, before I, before I move there, I just want to touch on one other story. So Jesus is doing amazing things. He's, he can just speak to a storm and it becomes calm. He can cast out demons. He can forgive sin, something that only God could do. And they get to be with this man who's doing all these amazing things, who they recognize as the son of God. And one day, this Roman soldier comes up to Jesus and kneels. The Bible calls him a centurion, so he's a high-ranking Roman officer, and, which means he would have had many, many men under him and not very many men above him in rank. But here comes this high-ranking officer, come and kneel before Jesus. And not only does he kneel, but he calls him Lord. The root word for Lord there is the word that uh, kerios, which I talked about three weeks ago, which is the same um, Greek word that is used in the Old Testament in the Greek to mean Lord God. So when you read in the Old Testament, you see the word Lord, kerios. So this Roman soldier comes You've got to remember that Rome at this time had conquered Israel, and Israel is under the thumb of Rome. And this Roman soldier comes to Jesus and kneels and calls him Lord and begs him to ask him, begs him asking him to heal a servant who is sick in his household. It's an amazing thing to have seen that as a Jewish person, a Roman soldier kneel to a Jewish man, to a Jewish rabbi, teacher and call him Lord and which means not only did he acknowledge that he was a messenger sent by God that was proclaiming the kingdom of God 
but he recognized the lordship of Christ. He recognized that Jesus was greater than him. The only person this man should have been kneeling to was Caesar, the king of Rome. And here he was kneeling before the king of kings. How amazing it would have been to see. And what would have been going through the disciples' minds at that time? I don't know. But it would have been a moment for sure. So here's Jesus with his disciples, this this man that they are believing is going to restore the kingdom of Israel. He's going to come in and, and grow armies, and he's going to change everything. And then Jesus says this. He says that I'm going to leave. I must leave you, but it's to your benefit that I go. Imagine the confusion and frustration when Jesus says he has to leave and that it won't be long and that it's in their best interest. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John 16, 5, where it says this, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going, Jesus said. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So the advocate here, another word, some some Bible translations will use the word helper or counselor, but the advocate, he's gonna send him to them. And here in verse eight it says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. You see, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come when he left, that he would send the Holy Spirit. And he said it would be to the disciples' benefit that he go and send the Holy Spirit. It is to our benefit that Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven and that he sent the Holy Spirit here, that he sent the abiding presence of God into our lives to teach us, to lead us, to direct us, to empower us, to be bearers of of his spirit and to usher in this next era of his kingdom through us, through a God who chooses to dwell with us. John 14, 16 to 17. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The abiding presence of God comes into our life when we receive the Holy Spirit. And you see here that he's a helper, he's a comforter, he's an advocate on our behalf. And he is working on our behalf within the kingdom of God for God's plans. Won't be thwarted by anyone. You know, it's here, it says that it'll be forever. The last slide, it says that we will know and be with God forever. 
You know, it says here that there's a few roles here in John 16 for the Holy Spirit. It says that he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And if you're sitting here as somebody who is a follower of Christ, it means that the Holy Spirit has convicted you. He convicted your heart. And he's shown you and revealed to you your sin. And that at some point you made the decision to turn away from that sin and to pursue God and to walk rightly. To walk in God's plan and God's ways rather than your own. What an amazing thing. And then lastly it says, and of the coming judgment. And so we know that one day there will be a judgment day. There will be a day that we all stand before God to take account for what we do. You know, but the amazing thing is for us that put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're clean, we're made new. And when we stand before God, he'll smile and embrace us because we are his sons and daughters. We'll be, you know, it's the, the imagery that God gives us in the Bible about about when a lost son returns home. It's so precious. The story of the son who, who asks for his inheritance and squanders it and comes home in shame, literally just to be his father's servant because he knows that he's shamed and disrespected his father greatly. And what does the father do? He hikes up his skirt. I don't know what else you call it. And he runs to his son and embraces him. One day we're going to be embraced by God. Mark's thinking, man, I wish I had a skirt. I could hike up. <laughs> you could. <laughs> now I'm going to close and come to the point of today's message. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit abides with us corporately when we come together and gather as the church. In John 14, 18 to 20, it says, I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you in me and I in you. One of those amazing mysteries. How is it, you know, Jesus, it was, it was very hard for people to understand when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's a hard thing for people to understand. But then here we see that now we're brought into it. It says here that just as Jesus is in the Father, that we will be with him, be in him and him in us. And now we know the mystery. We understand it a little bit. The fact that we know that God now lives in us and that's how we can be one with God. That's how we can commune with God. That's why we can abide in the presence of a holy God because the holy God made a way for us to be justified with him. He made a way for the penalty of our sin to be washed away by his blood so that we could come into his presence and be made whole be restored, be a people who know God, who love God, and who God 
reigns over as king. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus said, while abiding with you in person. But the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but as I give to you. The gift of the Holy Spirit into our life is one that we would know that we are not orphaned, that God has not left us alone, but that he is with us always. But I believe that there are some in this room that still have an orphan spirit of some kind. That when you are all alone, you feel desperately alone. One way to know whether you feel desperately alone when you're alone, this is not a poem, is if you feel you need another human being to complete you. If you only feel like a whole person when you're with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, there's something there that you've given to somebody that God wants to fill in your life and be in your life. That is God that restores us and makes us whole. But when you get together with your, with your wife, with your husband, you now become one. Two whole people coming together. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. You know, some people have been let down. Some people have been misunderstood. Some here may have even been abandoned by friends, by parents. My family. You know, you may have invested so much time and energy with a company, and maybe they recently let you off, let you go. You know, we have a God who dwells with us. The truth is, if you are a follower of Christ, you are never alone. Jesus was never alone. The Holy Spirit was with him from the moment of conception. And he still reigns as king with the Holy Spirit, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, for they are one. And now we are invited into this amazing family, the family of God, as sons and daughters of God. And you are never alone. But I think sometimes we feel alone because we don't understand the Holy Spirit. We don't understand how he works. Sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit is really even there. So this morning, I'm trusting that God will do a work in our lives as we say, Holy Spirit, I want to know you more. You know, the Pentecostal experience, if you don't know, we're a Pentecostal church. And the Pentecostal experience is, is that in which the Spirit is poured out on His people. The people are filled with His power, with his presence. And there's a new life force working within us by the power of the Holy Spirit 
that encourages us and encourages others, that allows us to go and do and be as Jesus is and does. And that's really what it means to be a Christian too. Did you know the original term Christian was a derogatory term? It meant little Christ. It's kind of like if you have some bad habits and your mom turns to you and say, you're just like your father. But almost in an insulting way because it's like not a good characteristic. Why don't they ever say, you're just like your father. You're just so compassionate. Anyhow, my mother never did that. Um, But that's what it was. It was was saying, you are an imitator of Christ. And the very insult was actually a compliment. Oh, you little Christ-like person. Oh, you... (laughs) But that's what it's about. It's about conforming to the image of God, to the person of Jesus Christ, because his spirit reigns in us. And when we surrender our life to God, it means that we are willing to allow the spirit to reign in our life. And it's not just on Sunday morning. It's not just the spiritual fear of our life, but it, it interacts and invades every area of our life. Every area, our workplace, our family life, our hobbies, our finances. We're so good at segregating things up and saying, God gets my spiritual life, but I can live like everyone else in every other area of my life, except for the fact that I pray and I go to church on a Sunday. Do we honor God with our finances? Do we honor God with our relationships? Does our life look like Christ? And how can it look more like Christ? By trusting in the Holy Spirit, coming to know the person of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to transform your life. Allowing him to transform your life from the inside out. It's not about behavior modification. It's about a a total home makeover. Move that bus. Move that bus. Some of us got some big buses to move. You can't see the forest through the trees. You're more focused on your problems than you are on the person of Jesus. You're more defeated than you are victorious. You're more negative than you are optimistic. You still feel like an orphan, even though you've been adopted and given the keys to the mansion. You still feel broke, even though that you've been given all the riches and glories of God. This morning, I just want to create an opportunity for you to come up to the front. If you realize that there's a gap between where you are and where you believe God wants you to be, I want to invite you to come up and just say, Holy Spirit, I need you to empower me. Lord, I need you in my life. Holy Spirit, God, help me to be aware of your Holy Spirit in my life. If you need prayer, we'll be up here to pray with you. But I really believe that God wants to do a work in you. 
There's some of you in this room that have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They've been praying for years to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, th the thing is, sometimes, you know, when the Holy Spirit's going to move in a mighty way, we don't need to, you know, try to artificially create something. God either's going to move or he's not. But I know that God wants to move. And sometimes it's just that the bus is in the way. What's your bus this morning? I'm revealing what God wants to do and has done in you. You know, it's... And I'm going to close there. But I really trust that God will come this morning if you, if you come before the altar and say, God, I want to know you more, Lord. I want to look more like you. And Lord, help me, help me to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, who you are, Holy Spirit. And this is why it's important that you understand that he's a person because you interact and have a different relationship with a person than you do a force or an entity. What kind of relationship do you do as a Jedi have with the force? It's not the same as you have with the living God, the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you who sometimes we've just pushed to the side and choose to ignore because other voices seem louder. But um, I'm going to stop talking so I don't keep going on. But, but Father, I just thank you. Jesus, I thank you that you came. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son. Lord, I thank you for what he accomplished on the cross. Lord, I thank you for how you've made a way for us to be made right with you, to know you intimately, to have your abiding presence rest and dwell with us today. And Lord, I thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to come and reign in our lives, to lead us, to direct us, to teach us to guide us, to empower us, to do as you do, to be as you are, to say as you say, and transform the world around you for the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, this morning, we just ask that the Holy Spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, would come in a mighty way. Fill us, empower us, Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church place where families connect.